Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, church. It's great to see you guys today. Rooted is responsible for some amazing life change around this campus. And one person I want to say thank you to is Mr. Marcus Zellis. Can we say thanks to Marcus for organizing that, planning that? He has done an amazing job. We are in the fall. We're going to be launching a a seven-week sermon series to coincide with the Rooted series. And we want to see as many people as possible join a Rooted group. It's a 10-week discipleship program. It's for those who want to deepen their walk with the Lord and invest in others and be equipped to, to reach others with the gospel. And so here's my challenge to you. Take on a 10-week journey with the Lord. I know it can be scary, but we're taking in signups. There's a few weeks left to sign up. We want to launch as many rooted groups as possible. So check that out on the Church Center app or talk to Marcus after service. Now, obviously, with me right now, I have Pastor John, our executive pastor. Let's give it up for Pastor John. And then I have our new bearded worship pastor, Mr. Chris Correa. So I wanted to bring them up here today before we jump in the message, just so you get to hear from them a little bit about how their transition has been going. So Chris has joined us on staff. He's only been out here for a couple of months. He brought his entire family here. He's married. He has four little ones, all of them five and under. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, I, and I dropped off my son at his house yesterday and said, hey, have fun, Johnny. And Chris took care of all of them. It was awesome. And John didn't want to leave. He asked if he could live at your house. I told him, no way. But been awesome having you in town. I have been so blessed by you. I know you're still getting your feet wet. Learned. We got a big congregation here, lots of people to, to get to know. We've been seeing a mix-up with, you've had all kinds of different people on stage, and it's been awesome. Even this morning, got some amazing grace in there, so that's pretty amazing to see. So you've been really, like, it's been really diverse, been awesome to have you. How is this transition going for your family, and what excites you about serving here at South Valley? Hey. Oh, there we go. Um, so really, the transition to here was uh, kind of a crazy one. We, um, we, I grew up in the last place we lived. I was there for 35 years. And um, so we, we left family, friends, um, just ministries I'd been part of for years. And I mean, uh, so we were really nervous coming out here. But our first few weeks just coming and, and getting to know the church, even before we bought a home here, um, it was something we were driving home, we were talking, driving back to our old home. We were just talking about, man, one of the things we really loved about this community was one, that it was a small town. Um, and, and that's one thing that I love. I grew up in a small town. And, um, and the other thing we just loved was that it, even though this is a bigger church, it still felt like a small church family. And, and I don't know how many of you guys have been in the experience of like in bigger churches or smaller churches, but that was a really unique thing for us here. Uh, to be honest with you, bigger, bigger churches wasn't necessarily an ideal situation. The last church we came from was about 150 members. Um, and so coming into this church, you know, I was like, oh man, it's a lot of people. Um, but the feeling here is home. And that is really a cool thing. I mean, as soon as we moved into our neighborhood, um, we were unloading stuff. We had about three or four different neighbors come up and introduce themselves to our family. And their kids were like, hey, we're going to be at your door every day. And they did not lie. They are there <laughs> uh, very often. And uh, so w- it was great for us because, you know, our kids were leaving their family and their friends. And we did have some concerns about how that was going to go for them. And honestly, um, you know, They've, they've done excellent, and they've had just an absolute great time here. They love the children's ministry. Um, but one of the things I really love about this town is just getting to meet new people and to share what our heart is and to show people that um, this is a beautiful church and it's moving in a really good direction. And one of my favorite things about coming on staff here is that we're in a room full of people who have just a passionate heart for Jesus and for people. And um, we're seeing really great progress already in the ministry. And I just got to kind of jump in and move full speed ahead with what's already, the momentum that's already been going on. And, and you guys have been amazing. I mean, my first week here, um, I think my microphone died and it was 
kind of hilarious, and you guys were just so cool about it. You know, you were just cheering and laughing. It was a good old time. So um, I, I am really, really grateful for the opportunity to be with you guys. I'm looking forward to spending many, many years with you guys. Um, but this is a wonderful valley, and you guys should be very excited about what's going on in this church and what's coming uh, for the future of this, of this city. Uh, I really believe really great things are coming, and, and John has been an excellent part of that transition for me. I mean, I, I kept telling people, like, it was just weird how amazing he is. Like, <laughs> you guys are blessed to have it had him. Weird. For it so, is kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I am weird, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was like, he, he called me during the transition, and I remember we were just on the phone, and we just became like family almost instantly. It was just such an easy thing. You know, it's not always, transition isn't always an easy process um, from people moving into new positions or, and, and all those types of things. And um, he's been so accessible to me and my family um, and such an encouragement and, and a great mentor. And so I am very grateful for you and, and for the many of the people who've surrounded our family in this community already to help us to feel welcome and to just give us a great foundation to start running. I mean, we were here for what, a few weeks and then I got sick right when I got here. And then I got like, yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's a little bit messy for the first few weeks and John bailed me out a couple times. <laughs> and so anyway, yeah, it's been a wonderful transition. We're so glad to be here with you guys and uh, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Yeah, excellent stuff, excellent. So now I want to hear from John. So John and I, we were working behind the scenes for a while before we made this decision. Him and I actually made this decision together. We'd have coffee, we'd meet, we wrestled through things, we wrote out job descriptions, we rewrote out job descriptions. We wanted to be prayerful and considerate of how this might impact the entire church. But I've been excited to just see John step into an even greater capacity moving up into the executive pastor role and taking on new responsibilities and even more leadership for South Valley Community Church. And so I want to hear from you. How has that gone for you and what excites you about this role? How do you see this strengthening what we're doing here at South Valley? You know that um, you ask for trouble when you pray to God about, okay, God, how do you want to use me, right? Uh, and so the conversation began about uh, adding to the staff of South Valley what we wanted to do. And I'm very much about worship. That's how I'm wired. That's where I've been. I, in my mind, music is kind of my life. So when he came to me and said, what about executive pastor? I really did not feel equipped for that. I was like, nope, I'm not the most organized person. I don't see me as someone who is, I'm a pleaser. So to put me into like an executive pastor role and tell people like, hey, maybe you should do that better. Um, that's, that's a hard place for me to be. But the more I prayed about it, the more I went, Okay, God, I see where you're going with this. And really where my heart is, is, is I'm blessed by what you say because that's, that is very humbling to me because I want to be a humble servant of Christ. And where God puts me is where I want to serve him. And, and like Ricky said last, last week, this isn't a cruise ship. This is a battleship. And so for me, what, what I hope is I started here when I was your age. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going into my 17th year here. Uh, and so what, what I'm hoping is that God will use the, the years that I've been here to help bring perspective, to help bring knowledge about what God has done here and, and what God has done through his people, the, the uniqueness of what Lemoore is uh, in, in regards to just how God really has called people into ministry here. And we have a great work that we could still do, but we're in a very unique place because we're in a military town where we see people come in and come out. And so what, what I hope to bring to the table is, is wisdom and, and perspective. I hope to bring leadership just to kind of help us go the same direction. Uh, I, I hope I'm not misspeaking when I say this, but in the military, there is a phrase that is one team, one fight. Am I correct in that? No. Yes, thank you. Okay, good, because I thought maybe I'm totally wrong. What I understand is one team, one fight means that the armed forces, the military community, they all come together, no matter if you're Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, they are all together to accomplish the mission. Amen? They work together to accomplish the mission. And so for me, I want us to be one team, one fight, which is to win people to the kingdom of God. That is what we're designed to do. And, and so... So for me, I, I, I want to speak this because I know change is hard. This guy is, is great. This guy is awesome. I'm for this guy right here. 
I want him to succeed because when we succeed as a team, we, we do kingdom work together. And I truly believe this. Like, I'm flattered and humbled for those of you who've, who've come to me and said, hey, you, you know, how's it going? How's the transition? Because it says that we are a caring church, that we check in, that we are a community. But I want to let you know that, that we love each other on staff. And we're together, and, and we can, we're starting to learn how to talk through difficulties and have tension and resolve tension and pray for each other and work through things. Because if we don't get it together in here, if we can't do it together, the devil doesn't do, need to do much to tear us down. So, so my hope is that I can bring perspective of going, hey, maybe we just need to take a breath. Maybe we need to pray. We've been through some of this before, but let's do this together. We're one team, one fight. Let's do God's work together and give him all the glory. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to say it's been a blessing working with the two of them and the rest of the staff. Uh, from day one, one thing I shared with the staff is we want to be a staff that all pulls in the same direction. And so sometimes when you see church staffs or even church environments, you have different leaders who are all kind of pulling in different ways. And then the church becomes complacent, it plateaus, it, it doesn't really move in any you know, meaningful direction. And so John has already helped us. Him and I working together, all of us have been pulling in the same direction, seeing the progress that we want to see. And so he's done an amazing job. Chris, you've done an amazing job with the transition. Thank you guys for sharing your heart. Let's give it up for them one more time. We love you guys. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, we're going to jump straight into our message today. If you guys have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, if you have your little piece of paper you, would, you received on the way in, you could pull that out. Love for you to interact with the text, circle things, write some notes. Uh, we are talking today about Mission First, God's plan for reaching your world. This is going to be a little three-part series. Last week was number one, today's number two. We'll wrap it up next week. But today we're in 1 Corinthians 15, and today we're going to explore the most important doctrine of the Christian faith. Now, the Apostle Paul describes this doctrine as being of first importance. So if you're a Christian today, there is one life-saving message that God calls on you to proclaim to the world and to proclaim loudly. And if you're not a Christian here today, then there is one life-saving message that God wants you to hear from him and to hear loudly. And that message is the message we call the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so today's sermon is titled, Unashamed of the Gospel. We are going to talk about the mission, the message that we have all been called to proclaim and to receive. It's called the gospel and it is of first Important. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for Chris and for John and for just uh, their wisdom and their love for you, their love for this church and for this community. I pray you continue to bless them and their families. Bless Amy, bless Jenny, bless the kids. Help us as a church to just push forward into what you have for us, to trust you with our future. And I pray, God, that we would see, continue to see transformation. We've seen already so many salvations this year. So many baptisms this year. We pray that we would continue to see that fruit as we proclaim the good news to this community and around the world. We love you and praise you. Be with us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now, I recently watched a documentary about the 70s and the 80s. Anybody like documentaries in here this morning? Okay, I'm a huge documentary fan. I, I just love them. I love biographies too. When I'm down or struggling, I always pick up Christian biographies and, and learn from somebody else's perspective. But I like documentaries. I watched this one about the 70s and, and early 80s. And in, in 1980, a man by the name of Ke Ted Kennedy was running for the the, the presidential election of 1980. You guys remember Ted Kennedy? Some of you might remember him. He was the, the younger brother of JFK. Now, everybody thought that Ted Kennedy would be the, the, the primary candidate and potentially win as the new president. He seemed like a strong candidate. He, he was somebody that people were behind until one day he was invited on national television. Now, this was still kind of new. It was still kind of new to interview uh, presidential candidates live for everybody to see. There's nothing, no way to prepare. Just share whatever comes to your mind. And with the cameras on and the whole world watching, Kennedy was asked an important question. The question was, what, why do you want to be president of the United States? That was the question. 
And this is how he answered, word for word. This is verbatim. Well, I'm, um, were I to, to make the, uh, the uh, announcement to run, the reason, um, and then he went on and stumbled through why he wanted to be president. What do you think the world thought when they saw him answer with so little confidence on live television? Do you think that the world thought he was ready to be the president? The answer was no. The world saw him share why he wanted to be president, and he had no reason, no good answer on the spot to give as to why he wanted to be president. And so in that moment, he lost his ability to get into the White House. Nobody was behind Ted Kennedy anymore because of that one central, most important question that any presidential candidate should be able to answer. Why do you want to be president? They should be ready at any moment to share with confidence what they will do and why they feel called to that position. When the world saw he wasn't ready, they turned and they ended up being interested in someone else. Now, I'm sharing that with you because I want to put this on your radar. We have the gospel, the most important message of Christianity. What if I brought you up here onto this stage, right here in front of all these people, live audience. Actually, should we try it? No, I'm not going to do that to you. Live audience. And I asked you this question. What is the gospel? What would you say? Would you be ready to explain the central message of our faith? The message that all of Christianity is built upon. Would you be ready in that moment with confidence and clarity to answer that question? Or would you be, well, the gospel um, is, I think um, the gospel to me is, um, you know, that's a good question. (laughs) How would you answer? It's the most important message of our faith. And because it's the most important message, we should all be prepared to share it. So what is the gospel? I'm going to give you guys a short definition real quick. The gospel is the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection in our place for our sin. That's the condensed definition of what the gospel is. Now, the Bible uh, uses the noun gospel, euangelion, a total of 75 times in the New Testament. Euangelion, the word gospel, it's the noun version of it. There's also, to, to preach the gospel, the verb is also used 75 times. It's euangelizo. And I'm showing you these Greek terms because these Greek terms, euangelizo, euangelion, is where we derive the English term evangelism. So have you ever heard Christians talk about evangelism? We get that word from this Greek term, term euangelizo. And evangelism is a combination of two Greek words. The, wor- the first wor- part of it is the word for good, and the second part of it is the word for messenger. And so somebody who pro- proclaims the gospel is a messenger sent to preach good news. Do you guys believe today that Jesus Christ is good news? Well, you have been sent... I have been sent to be evangelists, proclaimers of good news to a watching world, the people in our life, the people in our community, and the lost people around the globe. We have one mission from Jesus Christ, the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, a message of good news. And so here's a cool quote on this. Yeah, that's worth clapping for. I agree. Amen to that. This is why I'm a pastor, because all I care about is evangelism. That's why I'm a pastor. So to evangelize is to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. So all of the Bible hinges on this message. The Old Testament pointed to it. The Old Testament prophesied about it. Jesus was predicted. Jesus was prepared for. All of it pointed to this one message. And that is, that according to Scripture, and that as the reigning Lord, he now offers the forgiveness of sins and the liberating gifts of the Spirit to all who repent and believe. Evangelism is itself, evangelism itself is the proclamation of the historical biblical Christ as the Savior and Lord with a view to persuading people to come to him personally and so be reconciled to God. So to evangelize is to declare with authority 
What God has done through his son with the view of persuading a lost and dying world to repent and to believe in him. We have a message of good news. If you are a Christian today, it's because you responded to a message of good news. And the moment you responded, guess what? Jesus then sent you back out with the Holy Spirit to bring that message of good news to your friends, to your family members, to, to the, uh, the annoying guy across the street that revs his car way too loud to your co-workers, to your classmates, you are now a missionary here in Lemoore. Now, with that in mind, I want to share with you guys three characteristics of the gospel message. Three characteristics that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first characteristic is that the gospel alone has the power to save. The gospel alone has the power to save. Listen to what Paul says Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now one common misconception about salvation is that salvation is something that we can earn. If we do enough good things to make up for the bad things in our lives, then maybe we could tip the scales in favor uh, in, our, towards, in our relationship with God, and then we'll be accepted by God. If I, my, my good outweighs my bad, then God will accept me, God will embrace me, and God will love me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you can't do enough good to be accepted by God. The gospel is you are a sinner by nature and by choice. And your sin has cut you off from a perfect creator God. It has hurt your life. It has hurt your relationships. It hurts everything it affects. And no matter what you do and how hard you try and whatever good things you can muster up in your life, you can never be embraced and accepted by a holy God on your own, by your own strength. You need a savior. And so this is what the Bible says about Salvation in the gospel, Romans says this, For no one can be, ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Doesn't matter how much good we do. Doesn't matter how much we try to right our wrongs. Doesn't matter what we do on our own. We can never be accepted by God by our own works. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The Bible shows us in all the rules, man, it, sh- it doesn't make, make us feel good about how good we are. It makes us realize like, oh my gosh, I need help. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets. The the whole scripture is pointed forward to this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That is some great news. Can I hear it for that? Some really good news right there. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. A passage today was written to a church that lost sight of the gospel. And and what I'm going to share with you guys today is nothing new. Many of you have heard messages like these before. Many of you can explain the gospel because you were saved by Jesus and you proclaim Jesus. But the reason I want to remind you of this today is because Paul felt it was important to keep the gospel in front of God's people. Because here's what happens with God's people. When they stop focusing on the mission, the church grows inward and they begin to fight with one another instead of being soldiers for Christ out in the world. And an example of this is the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, as soon as they lost sight of the gospel and Paul had to leave that community and go plant a new church, they became inward focused. And as soon as they became inward focused and stopped making the mission their main goal, they started to fight amongst each other. There was chaos and there was confusion as the Corinthian church went wild the moment they lost sight of the gospel. And so the only way to describe this church, if you've read 1 Corinthians, is that they acted like immature Christians. They were founded by the greatest apostle of all, the Apostle Paul. 
But when they lost sight of the mission, they turned inward and they quickly started to fight with one another. There was jealousy with one another. They were divided. They complained about one another. There were worship wars. People were saying, hey, I follow this leader. No, I follow that leader. No, I follow Jesus. No, I follow this guy. They were all getting behind the people that they wanted to be about, raising their banners, causing fights. There were lifestyle problems. Okay, there were people who, there was rampant sexual sin in the church. The marital problems were crazy in the church because they weren't actually focusing on their own lives and trying to grow. They were just fighting with one another. And they were even taking to each other to court and suing one another. That's what happened to the church as soon as they started to lose sight of the gospel. And so Paul's solution to all these problems was, was hey, guys, you need to get back on track with the gospel. He says, so I, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Guys, you... you you, you lost sight here. All of a sudden, you made the gatherings about you. The gathering is not about you. you. You come, you get equipped, and you bring what you learn and what you know to the world around you, and you watch as the gospel takes hold of your family, it takes hold of your school, it takes hold of your workplace, and takes hold of your kids, and people are transformed by the power of God. That is what the gospel does. And I know this because twice in Paul's writings, he refers to the gospel as the power of God. You guys memorized this passage earlier this year. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is what? Power of God. That sounded very not powerful. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's what? The power of God. Thank you, church. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also the Greeks. He says earlier in 1 Corinthians 1, Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. People who don't understand the faith, that don't understand what Jesus did. They think it's foolishness to talk about the gospel. They think it's elementary to talk about the gospel. But to us who are being saved, who understand what Christ really endured on our behalf, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Churches always spiral into chaos when they lose the centrality of the gospel. The moment churches become inward focused, preference focused, instead of mission focused, they begin to fight, they begin to get weak, and they lose their power. Why? Because when there's no gospel in the church, there is no power in the church. Do you want to see the power of God in your life? Believe in the gospel. You start with the gospel. You return to the gospel day after day after day. When the church loses the gospel, they lose the power for life change. They become inward focused. But we have to remember the church of Jesus Christ has one job. To proclaim the simple gospel to a lost and dying world. And when we proclaim the gospel and when we live the gospel and when we believe the gospel and can explain the gospel, we see sinners saved. We see shackles break. We see lost people become found. We see, we see people sanctified into righteousness sake because the gospel alone has the power to save and nothing else out there can transform lives except the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus invites us to be bold in making him known to the world. The gospel alone can save. Which leads to point number two. The gospel's of first importance. South Valley Community Church exists to be a hub for the gospel. Proclaimers of the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This message is of first importance. There are other things that we're going to do as a church, but this has to be number one at all times, the gospel. Look at what Paul says. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here's a summary of what the gospel is all about. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
Now, do, are any of you in this room today raising little ones in your house or maybe grandparents here today who are, who are helping raise a little one? Anybody? Okay, about half of you. So you're going to understand what I'm saying here. Okay, I have two little ones, all right? I have a, I have a daughter named Blake. I have a son named John. I'm going to talk about them just about every week because I, I, I love my kids. I love talking about them. Now, when I'm communicating something important to my kids, you know what I do? I tell them that it's important. I don't, and then, you know what I'll, I do after I tell them it's important? I make sure they repeat it back to me, okay? Because when you just say something to your kids, there's this weird, you know, disease they have where it like goes through their head, like one ear and out the other. And so sometimes I literally have to sit them down and I have to say, listen, guys, what I'm about to say is very important. So listen up, and I want you to not just listen to me, but I want you to repeat what I just said to you so that I understand that you heard and understood what I just said. So sometimes when it's important, I, you know, I sit them down, I have safety-related issues. Like, guys, you need to look both ways before you cross the road. Sometimes it's a school-related issue. Like, hey, guys, homework comes first and then you can play. Okay, we got a lot of teachers here in the house today. Let's give it up for our teachers. I'm glad you guys are back in school. I'm glad my kids are back in school. Back in the grind with homework. Homework first, then play. Sometimes I got to give them a message that's health-related, like, John, when you brush your teeth, you got to brush your back teeth, too. <laughs> like, you can't just brush your front teeth, dude. Like, you, like you got to get all those teeth. Sometimes the message I give them is, is life-related. Like, guys, John, Blake, you need to know in and out is better than five guys. I, you guys know this about me as a church. Rams are better than 49ers. Just got to say. Harleys are better than street bikes. I saw Harley out there. So, yeah, I saw that. Dutch Brothers is better than Starbucks. Blake and, and John know this. Okay, they need to. There are important messages that we need to communicate to our kids and then make sure they can repeat it back to us. Can I get an amen? Paul has an important message here. He describes it as first importance. He, he, he uses that phrase, this is of first importance, because he knows that the church can easily get caught up in other things, worrying about other things, when the main thing needs to remain the main thing, and that is that we have a mission to do, South Valley. We have a mission to do. We have friends who don't know Jesus. We have family members who don't know Jesus. We have co-workers who don't know Jesus. We have a community who many do not know Jesus. Jesus has planted this church for one reason. To make the mission known. To make the mission known at Lemoore Naval Air, Air Station. To make the mission known at every school. To make the mission known in every workplace. To make the gospel known to the world. That is why this church exists. So last week we were reminded of this. That the church is not a cruise ship. I love cruises. I've been on a few. I've never been on a Disney cruise. I'd love to go on one one day. But cruises are fun, Right? There are slides, there are pools, there's good food, comfy beds. You, you, you're weighted on hand and foot. It is amazing. When you're on a cruise, you never want to get off the cruise. It is awesome. But the church is not a cruise ship. The, the church is not an entertainment hub or one-stop shop where you can get all of your needs met. Christianity is no cruise. Jesus invites us to take up our cross and to follow him, to be disciple makers, to, be, to surrender our lives and to proclaim a message of salvation through him to a watching world. Jesus was not fluffy. He didn't have marketing schemes of like, hey, come over here and you're going to have a lot of fun and you're going to get a cool umbrella in your drink. He's, he's says, hey, you want to change the world? Follow me. You, you want to see your life flipped upside down for good? Follow me. You want to see your marriage transformed? You want freedom from addiction? You want a new life? Follow me. And so when we flip through the pages of the New Testament, we discover Jesus, he's not the captain of a cruise ship. He, his ship looks a lot like this. And this is a familiar ship to those of you at Lemoore NAS, right? That's what Jesus is, this, this is what Jesus is a captain of. He's recruiting soldiers who are trained and equipped to make a difference in the world. Who have signed up for a mission. 
a mission to seek and to save the lost. That's why the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. This is a great illustration because our soldiers signed up not for the good food on that ship. I hear it's not very good, by the way. They didn't sign up for that. They signed up to save lives. Jesus has signed you up, if you are a believer, to save lives lives. We are disciples of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This church is Jesus's church. He's the captain. He gives the orders. He's the one who gives the mission. And now he has sent us back out and equipped us with everything that we need to go and wage war in this world. With that in mind, I know that some of us need a refresher on what that mission and message is. Well, Paul identifies two components of the gospel message. When we proclaim Jesus, there are two things that we proclaim. The first thing that we proclaim is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ Jesus died for our sins. Now, according to scripture, we are each born into sin. We are sinners by nature and choice. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We are, psychologists will tell us that we are we're naturally good and we make bad decisions. The Bible teaches us that we are actually naturally bad and that's why we make bad decisions. It's called total depravity. It means that from birth, our entire nature is corrupted by sin. Every part of our being, our mind, our heart, our will is affected by sin. It doesn't mean we can't do good. It just means that we are totally stained. And if you're a parent today, you learn this with your kids. Our kids are little angels when they're born. But man, right around two years old, like, it's like, what is, what kind, how did that come out of you? They're sinners. You and I are sinners. And, and, and sin was introduced in the garden. God gave mankind an opportunity to trust him and follow him and do right by him. And he gave them also an option to do things their own way. And the moment mankind chose to rebel, sin entered the world. They ate of the tree. What God said would happen did happen. The wages of sin is what? Death. Sin creates death. It is why we physically die. It is why we have turmoil in our lives. It is why we have disconnection from God. We're cut off from God. It's why we have struggles in relationships. It is why we have drama. It is why this world is struggling in pain. Jesus came to deal with the worst problem in our world, in existence, the problem of sin. Paul summarizes the human condition in this way. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Can you hear that description? Isn't that crazy? That's us apart from Jesus. Cut off from God. Selfish, self-centered, making life all about us, assuming that we have the answers when the only one who has the answers is God the Father through the work of Jesus the Son. He says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is us apart from Christ. Sinners in need of a Savior. Sinners cut off from God. There's no way we could build a bridge back. Sinners who have hurt ourselves through our decisions and actions. Sinners who have hurt others. Sinners who deal with the consequences and pain that is associated with the destruction of sin. And this is what God promised. The wages of sin would be death. Well, there's good news in the gospel. The gospel teaches that Jesus, the Son of God, came to meet us in the depths of our depravity. The gospel teaches that Jesus came to deal with the curse of sin and all of its consequences. He came to bring spiritual healing by conquering spiritual death. He came to bring 
physical life by raising from the grave. He came to bring eternal life by promising us that one day we would spend eternity with him in heaven. Jesus came to deal with the curse of sin. But in order to do this, he had to die for sin. A life for our lives. Because the wages of sin is what? And so here's the option. You die for your sin and you pay the price and you deal with the consequences. Or Jesus dies for your sin and he pays the price and he deals with the consequences. Either way, somebody is dying for sin. Jesus came as our substitute. Now, this idea of substitute, we call it penal substitutionary atonement. Jesus came to pay the penalty as our substitute to atone for our sin. And this idea of of, of atonement and substitution started all the way back in the Old Testament through the offering and the blood of an animal. If you guys remember, you guys, anybody read Leviticus in here, okay? If you read Leviticus, there's a lot of blood in Leviticus. And here's how it happened in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was something called the burnt offering. And the burnt offering was the most frequent offering mentioned in the Bible. It was performed twice a day as well as on special holidays. And the frequency of this burnt offering, it served as a constant reminder of Israel's need for atonement. The the fire from the altar burned continually day and night. The the smoke ascended into the heaven, serving as a constant reminder of Israel's need for daily repentance. Because we sin daily. But in order to be forgiven, in order to be made right with God, forgiveness came at a tremendous cost. Now, before I was a pastor, I used to uh, buck hay for a living. Okay, so my dad owns a company called Hemi Hay and Feed. And uh, we have a bunch of stores all over the Antelope Valley. And we have a trucking company and all of this stuff. I bucked hay. It was a lot of fun. I worked around animals all the time. I served animal owners. And, and just a side note on that, animal owners are, are very interesting people. Okay? I just want to say that. Now, doesn't mean that they're, be- they're, it's, they're awesome people. I love animal people. But animal people are, are, are very different. If you don't own animals, then, then, you, then maybe you understand. If you do own animals, then you own it. Like, yes, we are animal people give you an example of this. My son, my my son, my brother was 10 years old. He wanted to come to work with me. So we brought him to work. He's working with us, unloading hay bales, filling up barns, unloading feed. There are goats around, sheep around, horses, sometimes buffalo. We had zebras at places, uh, camels, all kinds of animals, surrounded by animals all day. I loved it. I love animals. One day though, Justin's helping unload the truck. He's 10 years old and he looks over and this guy grabs a goat And he grabs the goat by its legs, flips it upside down, ties a rope around the goat's feet, and strings it up from the barn. Justin sees the goat, and the goat starts screaming. And if you ever heard a goat scream, it sounds a lot like a person. So you see the goat screaming, and Justin's like, what is going to happen to this goat? I'm like, I don't know, dude. This is the first time I've ever seen anyone do this in front of us. The goat's there hanging, screaming, upside down. And then the guy goes and grabs a knife. And he walks over to the goat and he slits the goat's throat. And the blood from the goat drained onto the floor right in front of my 10-year-old brother. And as soon as he saw that, he started bawling. And he's a strong kid. He's a deputy, a sheriff today. He's a strong kid. But he saw this goat suffer and die. And right in front of him, he just started bawling. And we left that place, and I'm like, dude, I'm sorry you had to see that. Uh, this is, you know, this stuff, this is what happens. This is, this is just a reality of life. And what, I, and what I realized in that moment is that was a frequent thing in the Old Testament. You see, what happened in the Old Testament is you would raise your own animal. You'd raise your own goat. You'd raise your own bull. You'd raise your own sheep. And then you would take the best animal from your flock, the one you love the most, the one without blemish, a male that could pass the inspection of a priest. It had to be a worthy sacrifice. You would take that animal, a bull or a goat or a sheep that you tended for, and you would bring that to the temple or you would bring that to the tabernacle and you would present it to the priest. The priest would inspect it, and if it cleared inspection, what you would do next is you would take that that animal, and you and your family, all your kids, all of you, you would lay your hands on the head of that animal, and you you would confess every sin in your life. 
And in that moment, it was a picture of your sins, your problems, the things that cut you off from God being transferred over to this animal. And your sin is confessed. And once your sin is confessed, the head of the household would then take a knife and he would slit the animal's throat. The animal was then drained of its blood. It was skinned, chopped into pieces, its entrails were cleaned, its hind legs were cleaned, and it was placed on the altar where it burned night and day until there was nothing left of the animal. And the idea here was this, a life for a life. The wages of sin is what? Death. The sins of who killed that animal? Your sins. That family's sins. And this was day after day after day after day. Burn offering after burn offering after burn offering after burn offering. A pleasing aroma to the Lord, bringing peace between God and the worshiper. But the blood of goats and bulls could never suffice. It all pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who would die for the sins of the world, would take on the nails that we deserve and be punished in our place and our sin given to him, his righteousness given to us, his blood shed, his life taken so that we could live and be made right with the Father. That is the gospel message. That's why the gospel is such good news. Nothing else can redeem sinful mankind. Nothing else can break you free of the chains in your life. Nothing else can set you free from the slavery of sin, those things you do in the dark, those habits that you have that you want to get rid of, that guilt and that shame, those feelings of inadequacy. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can redeem you. And Jesus did it on the cross. He died for your sins in your place. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Isaiah says. But he was smitten, uh, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. But upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. That is the good news that we are called to proclaim to a watching world. Jesus died so we can live a life for our lives. And if we refuse that sacrifice, then we pay the penalty for our sins. If we receive that sacrifice then what Jesus did on our behalf was, in fact, enough. Jesus died for our sins, but he also, second component, he rose for our salvation. Look again at the passage. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was a public victory. It didn't stop at the cross because Jesus, although he died, although he was pierced, although he was buried, three days later he rose from the grave and his resurrection was a public victory showing that what he did was in fact enough to atone for the sins of the world. He appeared to Simon. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 at once. He appeared to James and other apostles. And last of all, he appeared to Paul. And the reason Christianity skyrocketed and enveloped the whole world and we're talking about Jesus today is because hundreds and thousands of people saw Jesus die on a cross and then they saw a resurrected body. Jesus paid it all. He came to do what we could never do on our own. That is the good news of the gospel. And the resurrection of Jesus is important because it secures many things for us. One of the things that it secures for us is the promise that we could be born again. Church, if you are looking for a fresh start. And I know this is a long sermon right now. But if you're looking for a fresh start, Jesus gives a fresh start. Your guilt can be erased. Your shame can be forgotten. Your regrets, those things you hold on to that you don't talk about, that keep you up, that bother you, those mistakes, those bad decisions, they can be removed through Jesus Christ. He died and rose so that you could be born again. He died and rose so that you can gain victory over sin. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to be a slave to the same things that your parents were a slave to. 
or their parents were slaves to. You can live a new life because Jesus died and Jesus rose. And when you believe in him, he is the atoning sacrifice that sets you free from all of that guilt and all of that shame and all of that misery. And he gives you a fresh start, a new perspective, joy on the inside. And then he sends you back out to tell the world about it. You can have victory over the enemy. Satan is defeated in the cross. Satan and demons will have no hold over your life. The the, the principalities of darkness will flee the moment you trust in Jesus. If you feel you're stuck in the darkness, then come to the light. And not only can you have life, hope in this life, but you can be guaranteed hope in the life to come because Jesus rose from the grave. And so he promises that everybody who believes in him will also rise from the grave. And so what we know is that although one day we will breathe our last and we will be buried, unless Jesus comes back before them, we will be buried. But here's the thing, the, 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 the grave is not the end of our story, it's just the beginning. Jesus rose and he promises eternal life and resurrection to everyone who believes. That is the gospel. Jesus came to fix the greatest problems of the world, sin and death, and he did it on a rugged wooden cross and he did it for you. And so that's the final point today. The gospel, it's good news for the whole world. Do you believe that today, South Valley? The good news for the whole world. So the question is, what are you gonna do with this news? Are, are, are you going to spread it or are you going to hide it? Are you going to receive it or are you going to reject it? Some of you have been coming for a long time and you've never gone all in with Jesus. You've rejected and rejected and rejected. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to finally say, yes, I believe. Others have been here for a long time and you love the Lord, but you haven't told anybody else that you love the Lord. You haven't been used by God to see others come to Christ. Jesus wants to send you out. You are a warrior. You are a soldier. You are equipped to fly one of those F-35s. You got what it takes to go and make an impact in this world. Be bold and courageous. And so three simple ways to to apply before we close. Number one, believe in Jesus for the first time. If you have not believed, if you are dead in your sins, Jesus came to make you alive. Believe in him today before you leave this place. Number two, reach your oikos, reach your world. We talked about our mission field. You all have a, a unique mission field of neighbors and friends and coworkers and relatives and people at Dutch Brothers and Starbucks and Planet Fitness and wherever you work out, your school. You have an oikos, a unique world, a unique mission field that God wants to reach. Go out and reach that mission field. And finally, number three, join a rooted group because God doesn't want you to do this alone. He wants you to be equipped as a disciple and he wants to send you back out as a disciple maker. And so make that step this week to sign up for Rooted and join us in a 10-week journey to be ready to do whatever God calls us to do with our lives. I believe God has great things for this church. We just have to trust him and believe him with the mission. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I thank you for sending your son. I thank you for the gospel message that we can go from death to life. The amazing grace that once we were lost, but now we're found. And I pray, God, that we would be like John Newton, the author of that, that psalm, who, who went and, and, and was so transformed, he wanted to tell the world about his transformation. I pray that we would be people who proclaim what you have done, that we would see the people we love come to know you, that we would be about the gospel and not distracted by little things, that we would keep the main thing the main thing. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for this church. I pray your blessing on this community. I pray your blessing on, the, on the, every person in this house, and I ask, God, that you would use them in ways they never anticipated. We love and praise you in Jesus' name.